Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayic or uh never mind welcome to the show you are listening to the stuff that's real podcast with your hosts nick thacker and kevin tumlinson is that Esquire yet? Is Kevin Tumlinson Esquire? Yeah, Kevin Tumlinson. I'm I'm surprised you didn't refer to me as Venerable. The Venerable Jay the Venerable, Kevin Tumlinson. Because we just talked about me being the old man in your life, too. And uh, I, I tried to talk you off that ledge, man, but you won't let me. You whatever. I got gray hair. I noticed it. Oh, I got I, gray I, hair. I, I, it's going. I never had gray hair before I, I got married. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know if it's a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for tuning in with us today. We have uh, a whole docket of two new things uh, two to new talk things. to you about. <laughs> and but these th- these two things are so good, I don't even know about half of them. So I'm going to let right. my, my venerable friend, uh, J. Kevin Tumlinson Esquire, go first here and just uh, get, okay. learn me up some new stuff if uh, if you're ready to go. Uh, my, my opening salvo here is, have you heard of the Inca? I have heard of the Inca. Okay. Oh, you're talking so, to the listener. Maybe the listener hasn't. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. So um, I'm, I've got an article here from NewScientist.com, um, and the headline is, We Thought the Inca Couldn't Write, These Knots Change Everything. Uh, and so it's, it's the lost language of the Inca, um, and it's really kind of clever. So, um, and, the, you know, the image on this thing is kind of cool. It looks like a kind of like a phoenix or something. Uh, and it's What it is is a bunch of string with knots in random places. And uh, for forever, I mean, uh, since we've known about the Inca, uh, a lot of people just assume these were just de- decorative. Uh, they assumed the Inca didn't have a language, a written language. Oh, okay. Uh, but what they ended up discovering was um, that these knots actually correspond with uh, a means of communication and, and uh, in part, a large part is a sort of an accounting system. So, you know, that's not that unusual. We've, we've seen people use beads and things like that to, to uh, keep accounting records. Uh, but, you know, there's some hints of complexity in the whole thing. So um, I just thought this was fascinating. And one of the, one of the reasons it was fascinating to me, these things are called kipu. Uh, K-A-I-P-U-S. Uh, here's, a, here's a blurb. It says, uh, the majority of surviving kipu consists of pencil-thick primary cord from which hang multiple pendant cords and, in turn, subsidiaries. The Spanish described how they were used to record all manner of information. And the poet Garcileo de la Vega, son of an Inca princess and a Spanish conquistador, noted in a 1609 account that they had 
quote, an admirable method of counting everything in the Inca's kingdom, including all taxes and tributes, both paid and due, which they did with knots in strings of different colors. So it's the, these quipu are, you know, these elaborate, gorgeous looking designs sometimes, you know, and they do look decorative. So they sort of, they sort of hide in plain sight, which is how they survived because, um, when the Spanish first started kind of coming to the Americas, um, they were pushing Christianity, you know? And right. so what they did was they went around just destroying anything that didn't click with um, Christianity. They, they destroyed anything that had to do with gods, anything that had to do with, you know, uh, anything that seemed religious, they, they deemed everything demonology and uh, wiped it all out. And of course they did things like steal all the gold, uh, for Christ, of course, um, uh, <laughs> and melted that down. They 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 destroyed temples and built on built churches on top of them. Uh, right. So there was a lot of things that were happening. Uh, pretty pretty much uh, a litany of atrocities from the Spanish uh, during this time. And it wasn't just the Inca. Uh, you know, the Mayans and the Aztecs. All those cultures were virtually erased um, right. as the Spanish came through. And uh, there were some brave souls out there who, you know, uh, at first there were some converts, and I can't remember the the, uh, the priest's name, uh, but he had a change of heart. He was very active in destroying a lot of this stuff, and then he then he sort of started realizing, you know, there's a history here, and we're we're destroying a history. So he mm-hmm. he started preserving certain things, but that's a little off point. The the Kipu, uh, these not language uh, systems, were able to, to survive all this because one, they they just didn't look like anything. Everyone thought they were just, it's like seeing someone's Afghan, you know? Right, it's a little right. bit like Scottish kilts, you know, the the um, the uh, the pattern of the of the kilt, it tells a sort of family history. It's a, or it's a, it's, the tartans are part of a family history. Uh, they right. may not necessarily convey a language in that case, but, um, quilts, though, for example, um, in both the old world and uh, the Western world, Western world, um, I didn't phrase that quite correctly, but in Europe and in the Americas, uh, <laughs> you know, quilts sometimes convey these family histories and stories. So this is a similar idea, and it was mostly about accounting, but there are accounts of, you know, because of the complexity of these things, they, they pass on a tradition which is why we yeah. still have some Inca history uh, today. So, uh, so like I'm looking well, at the picture here in this article and yeah. it looks, <clears throat> I mean, it's so intricate. It looks almost like a doll that was made out of these, uh, these strings. Yeah. Um, are, are you saying those knots on there? That's the language. That's, that's Every the actual writing. Every knot on there, in it, its position um, wow. translates to something. And so it's wow. a little bit like um, an abacus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Right. A little Greek yeah. abacus or something. That right. Of, so very yeah. similar concept uh, there when it comes to like the accounting. Um, if you, da- further down in the article, there's actually this little uh, thing about you know what to how they that each knot in the sh- it's not just the knot's position, but it's the number of loops in the knot, for example, correspond to something. So like there's a one, two, three, four. Like they actually have a, a numerical expression. So very uh, fascinating to me. And I had actually, years ago, I wrote a series, a YA fantasy series called Sawyer Jackson, um, 
in which uh, he could see the the not work that the entire omniverse is constructed of. And so he could read it, he could interpret it. Um, so uh, that's why this caught my attention when this came across. I read this a couple of years ago now, but. Um, yeah, that's cool. I love this stuff, man. Yeah, just absolutely <laughs> fascinating. I did. I spent some time in Mexico, in the Yucatan, yeah. um, Yucatan state, and uh, you know, over there, it's all Maya. It's all the uh, the Mayan civilization and what's yeah. left of it. And there are still are Mayan people, um, descendants of the Maya, but um, for the most part, that civilization is is gone. It's devastated. Um, but it was incredible to me to like be walking around and I mean, picture this. I mean, we, I literally this was what I was studying. It was geography. We were studying the, these guys and this stuff. And so we got to go to all these, um, you know, the Chichen Itza, Ekbalam, um, um, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, all these really famous Mayan ruin sites and stand on top of them and look out. And I remember um, the professor that day telling us, you know, he said, hey, look out over this. I don't remember which which temple we were standing on. And that's how, how many we stood on. Um, but this one particular one we were standing on top of and um, the land over there is all very flat. It looks like Texas, you know, kind of a... Yeah the Texas Plains is just very dry, very flat. And he said, look out and you'll see all the tops of the rainforest um, and, and all these little tiny hills. And he said, all those hills, each one of them is a temple that hasn't been excavated yet. Each one of those right. is something waiting to be discovered. And I just, my mind was blown um, with the kind of history that, that we're just sitting on top of, that we're rebuilding yeah. on top of. Um, yeah. I've never been down to the opposite side of the country um, and, and farther south where the, the Inca were. Um, you know, they were more in South America, South America than Central, but, you know, I've never been over there, but it's the same story, right? I mean, we've all seen Machu Picchu and and we've heard of Cusco and all those eight places. Yeah. And, um, we've always, we've all seen the best movie ever made, uh, The Emperor's New Groove. Um, so we, we all know a little bit about this kind of stuff, but right. the more that I learn, it's just absolutely mind boggling to me so, how, you know, the civilizations that used to yeah. exist, I, I always think, my first thought is, well, they're, they weren't really civilized. They're, they're dead now. They're, ancient they didn't have writing they didn't have the stuff that we have right they didn't have cars right. but then to think they were just as much advanced as we are today with just different technology exactly I mean, and uh along those those lines like so there's been some evidence and, and this gets kicked back and forth uh the academic community depending on who you are they don't they don't like this stuff so they tend to poo-poo it um, it doesn't fit the narrative there's been, so yeah it doesn't, and you know, uh, I kind of agree with Graham Hancock, who's a little bit. I was of just going to say, we need to get guy. Graham on the show at some point. We should get, yeah, if we can get him on the show. I'd love to talk to Graham Hancock. Awesome. He, his, uh, you know, he uh, feels like you know Egyptian. The uh, Egyptologists have done more to damage uh, Egyptian history than anyone else, than any other group. Uh, in the name of preserving it um, yes. because they just will not accept anything that is not already accepted academic theory. Um, right. But so that said, um, in the uh, Americas and uh, Mesoamerica and the, you know, when it comes to like Mayan temples and, and that sort of thing, uh, there are several correlations or several uh, examples of correlations between like say temple layout and the stars and in particular the the uh, three stars in the belt of orion um they're just like what they think is happening and what certain 
people are thinking about the layout of the uh, pyramids at Giza, pyramids. yeah, um, there's you know these structures where there'll be three temples that are perfectly aligned with Orion at a certain time of year, yeah. And so they That's think the a lot three, of these cities, Kafir, um, Khufu, yeah, Kafir, and, and, and yeah, exactly. yeah, right. All three of those pyramids they look like Orion's belt from from above, right? Uh, and the um, that has lent itself to this idea that these a lot of these temples in, in cities are built themselves as a sort of language. So we since we have something like the Inca not language, we know they thought like this that that you know the, the Incas and the Maya aren't, aren't necessarily going to think the same. I mean they're different cultures, but we know that in that region people thought in terms of hey if you have a certain shape in a certain pattern it can be it can convey a certain idea so it's not uh far-fetched to think that they might have extended that outward into structures so which is yeah. an idea i play around with uh, quite a bit in in my throwers well we have no idea you know what this culture we we, we have some idea of what it's of what it was like we have we have no idea of what exactly it was like and so right. it's 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 long since gone um, and, and as we know, archaeology likes to remind us um, things disappear over time. A lot of things, most yeah. things disappear over time. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. if it's not a rock, it's probably going to go away. And so who knows if the Inca, the Maya, they had um, a, a completely different set. I know the, the Mayan did, but if the Inca had a, like a, a complete writing system, but it was cultural um, norm for them, maybe to, to say, you know, what, there's no drawing on any um rock formations you know nothing's going to leave a lasting mark because we're secretive or who knows there's all kinds of things that could that could have uh yeah. could have been the case and then these you know the the rope knots that the uh kipu is that what you called it the yeah, um kipu. the kipu could have been you know just one little remnant that was basically um one form of writing when they had maybe another completely different written one that we'll never find because all the things that they wrote on has disappeared right yeah yeah, well, love we, stuff, we can't yeah. know because there's that history has been it's mostly yeah. eradicated. <clears throat> but, you know, in that same region, you've got the Nazca lines. Like, what the hell is that about? Um, <laughs> that's got to be a different lines. episode because that stuff's fascinating. Yeah, we're, we, we'll, I'll have to find Yeah, we'll have to bring that back around. We won't spoil that for anybody. No, if that's, you don't know what the Nazca lines are, though, and you're listening to this particular podcast, <laughs> Welcome to the world. And Welcome we to the world. Welcome to, uh, we're about to blow your mind the rest of this season. You, you're not going to understand a damn thing we say uh, for the next hour. So That's right. Well, speaking <laughs> of things that are, um, that are, are ancient, Kevin. Um, is this is an old the, joke. You're about to take a crack at me. <laughs> the no, that was it. That was it. That, that was it. The venerable Kevin Tomlinson, ladies and gentlemen. Um, do this for me. Let's, you know, imagine that you are going back to the uh the inca times and you you go and travel well actually i need to get my my history my timelines in order i don't i don't actually know don't do that let's say go back 500 years and go visit the uh shoreline around greenland and you and then travel uh two miles straight down into the ocean um and you you may encounter one of the largest sharks on the planet but also the longest living shark in fact, the longest living vertebrate on the planet. That means something with the spinal cord. So the, essentially, the longest living animal that we know of 
is the Greenland shark. And they are known to live for up to 500 years. Yep. Half a millennium. One individual organism. Yeah. Um, They've studied these guys and they found one that was, I think, 392 years old. And they were like, nope, not even close to dead. (laughs) So that's where they get the 500 number, you know. Um, They don't reach sexual maturity until 132 years old, um, which has to be difficult in some ways. But That's some pent-up aggression right there. (laughs) Uh, They get up to 24 feet long. Um, I mean, these guys are just slow, big, lumbering, also able to kill you sharks. Um, Are they? So are they they aggressive? Well, the I don't think I don't know that they're aggressive. There's just not a whole lot down there that's their size. And so, right. uh, what I'm reading, or what I've read, is that these guys, just due to their sheer size um, and the fact that they're literally a shark, which you know, shark teeth, sharp teeth, that um, says that by sheer fact of, of nature that they are apex predators. So I assume um, that they rip their flesh to shreds, just like we've seen in Jaws. But um, yeah. this all happens two miles under the ocean. So if you happen to be but- snorkeling two miles down. Yeah, that's probably. I mean, there are sharks like there's whale sharks and things like that that are exactly. Yeah, you know, right. They're not going to attack you. Like no, they're not, no, they're they're docile. They're right, they don't have teeth like yeah. that. I would yeah, imagine. I, no, I don't. I know. I don't very think so. Little. These guys I mean, apparently are closely related to the um, great white shark, which okay. I believe is known to have teeth and is aggressive. They occasionally uh, consume people. So Sometimes. I guess we can make the assumption. That just seems odd <laughs> to me, though, doesn't it? Right. So, so you've got the Great White lives in much more temperate waters. Yeah, New Zealand, Australia. Yeah. Um, uh, there's one off and, the coast of Hawaii, actually. Yeah. They'll go. They'll range pretty far, but they tend to stick to warmer waters, right? And they don't right. go deep. Like, they're not, they're not a deep water shark. Yeah. Um, but these guys, which I've, I've I have read about and seen some things about them, I mean they're they're pretty far down there in some pretty frigid waters, and typically things that live in those climates are not, you know, they're not very aggressive. Like they, right. you know, they've been beaten down by their environment possibly, but uh, they they tend to be, you know, yeah. Well, they're aggressive in a whole different way than we're used to, right? They're they're sitting there, you know. Um, they're scavengers or they're um, opportunistic predators, um, but you're right. They're not gonna they're not gonna chase you and eat you. Yeah. Um, so and that's why I'm curious about. It's like, what are these guys like? Yeah. What are these guys? Yeah. Like? I have no idea. Um, you know, there's not a whole are, are lot they, on them. Yeah. That's. A, yeah. For obvious reasons, you know, it's difficult. <laughs> they do come up, I guess, um, to the surface. Uh, there is a a, a picture um, from a researcher who uh, tagged a female uh, in in Greenland and. Uh, um, it's talking about, you know, this this female, particular female shark is not alone. Um, there's another one down there. I guess they haven't tagged yet, but they yeah. they know it's there. Um, but yeah, so they're tagging these guys and, and they're starting to study them more and more. And I am just fascinated by this. I'm, I'm actually working on a book that uses the Greenland shark as a way to study um, human life, you know, as a way to elongate the, you know, human lifespan. Yeah. Um, to try to, you know, of course, the, the bad guy's going to do it in nefarious purposes, but the idea would be using some of the Greenland shark's DNA and trying to figure out what it is that, that makes them tick, that makes them able to survive um, at such, you know, slow temperatures and depths and all that. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, there's something else about these guys that I think was really cool. Um, th- as you might imagine, um, a chunk of meat off this guy is, 
uh, is a de- is it considered a delicacy in in Greenland, Iceland, where they're around. Um, is but it Iceland or Greenland? I think both. Uh, oh, yeah, the article okay. says Greenland and, and Iceland commercially hunt these sharks for their oil and meat. Um, it's considered a delicacy by some, uh, but. Here's what's cool. The, the, the shark tissue from the Greenland shark contains trimethylamine oxide, TMAO, uh, which is a compound that gives the animal or protects the animal against effects of severe cold and high water pressure. Yeah. Um, I found that when I was trying to figure out how, you know, somebody might use their DNA to, you know, lengthen the lives of, of humans. Um, <clears throat> right. But when humans digest this chemical, TMAO, um, it causes symptoms that mirror severe drunkenness. Um, nice. so they call it, uh, getting shark drunk. If, if you eat one of these things without properly processing the meat down, um, you have to treat it a certain way or you're going to get totally intoxicated. This is a quote, totally intoxicated, like on heavy drugs and need days to sleep it off. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. You're going to get shark drunk if you eat this stuff. Um, you can do it safely. Apparently you can compress the carcass into a perforated container to leach out the TMAO and then hang the meat out to dry for four months. Uh, and then you serve it in bite-sized cubes. So you age your meat just like you do with a with a nice steak, but yeah, three months longer. <laughs> oh, and then the, the last quote: <laughs> They are, yeah. It yeah. says even if you do it the right way, it's disgusting. It's the worst thing I've ever tasted. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, that's delicacy. what he said. Delicacy. So this, yeah, <laughs> like it's funny how delicacies tend to be just the crappiest food you're ever going to eat. Ludafisk. It's probably it's delicious, but uh, these things are very protected, I would imagine. And so they probably just want to talk people out of trying to eat. I the think shark. it's more about the rarity, right? Like when uh, back in the 1800s, when they were discovering mammoth carcasses and they would have these big parties and everyone would get to eat mammoth steak. I can't right. imagine that that <laughs> tasted good. Like this beef is this meat has been frozen for thousands of years. <laughs> freezer burn uh, set in after one year, burn. and <laughs> the other nine hundred ninety nine years they've just been <clears throat> or, what ten thousand nine hundred ninety nine um, years. There's a long history of sharks being the center of of um, research for longevity. Um, sharks in general live a very long time. Like just just in general, they'll. And they've, you know, they've done things like they'll they'll harvest the cartilage from sharks mm-hmm. for various things. Uh, they're 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 used quite a bit in uh, like Eastern medicine is, uh, you know, they'll use shark cartilage in particular. But like you know, even like their teeth and things like that. You know, Eastern folks are always grinding stuff down. Uh, that's true. They probably need to stop grinding yeah. stuff down. So, <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, I think I think you got a very plausible, uh, you know, use for that. Um, What's funny to me, here's what's fascinating to me. You know my theory on the ocean. Everything in the ocean is Everything wants to kill you. That's not a theory, man. It is a theory, I guess. That's an actual fact. This is an actual fact. Everything in the ocean wants to kill you and probably will if you give it half a chance. But what's interesting about the ocean, it's like here we are sending people into space. We're talking about sending people to Mars. We still have not explored like 90% of the Earth's surface. And... um, the the you know what's fascinating to me and just thrilling and frightening to me is when you see a giant shark at two miles down what you don't see is whatever the hell is eight miles down or 10 miles down like (laughs) we've gotten hints of there being these you know they talk about in in, uh mythology there was always the kraken or kraken yeah something like that 
you know, Poseidon. there have been these instances of things like giant squids washing up on the, on the shores of sure. Australia that are yeah, the yeah. size of a tanker, you know? Right. Um, so I'm just thinking, I'm just picturing, like, we're seeing the young bucks, I think. This is my theory. Those big giant sharks two miles down that are three or four or 500 years old, those are the kiddos. Yeah. They're yeah, being exactly. allowed to go up to the surface and explore and sow their <laughs> wild oats. And the grandpa shark, which is like 5,000 years old and is the size of the Titanic, is just sort of skirting around on the bottom of the ocean, you know, in some trench somewhere, exactly. eating literally anything that falls to his way. That's my, that's what I'm certain. I'm like 100% certain there's something like that down there. Definitely something like that down there. I, and you're probably I remember, right. It's probably a shark. Um, when I was a kid, uh, my stepfather worked with this guy who used to do a lot of diving uh, as part of like repairing uh, um, broken oil lines and things like that in the ocean. Um, and he was talking about how he did a dive and I don't know where, I'm too, it was too long, I don't remember where this was supposed to be. But he did a dive and there had been an earthquake and it had broken one of these lines. And so he's, he's down and he has to go retrieve it in this crevice that's opened from this earthquake when when they get down there it's it opens up in this big giant cavern and they they go down and they get they retrieve the line and but they're shining lights down there and then what they come across is these this this uh this bunch of giant catfish that were big enough to swallow a person whole that had been just living in this cavern all the time so that was that's terrifying. That's the, the <laughs> origin of me not liking the ocean. Uh, that's a fair. That's a fair reason to not like the ocean. <laughs> anyway, and then that's Nick goes and moves to Hawaii. He's like, "Well, you've chosen uh, you you've chosen well your your domicile to keep me from dropping by anytime." Well, it's not in the ocean. <laughs> it's just on the ocean. It's just surrounded by my <laughs> nemesis. And I'm, I've tried to, to live at least one giant crack in length away from the shoreline yeah. so that there's a good chance nothing can once, reach me where I am. Once it all goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Once it drains a little bit. Once yeah. the uh, giant sharks from Greenland uh, decide to turn their, their sights on Hawaii. So, yeah. That stuff is fascinating to me, too. I, I The whole idea of these, you know, these creatures, there's things in the ocean we, we haven't even noticed yet like we've here we are going around talking about elections and you know all, all the crap that goes on in our daily lives and meanwhile somewhere down at the bottom of a, a trench in the ocean is something big enough to swallow a city <laughs> um yep <laughs> oh well thanks for tuning in uh everyone this is uh, another wonderful episode of the best podcast you are just now hearing of called stuff that's real what's the whole title what is it <laughs> uh stuff that's real <laughs> that you didn't know was real but also is cool there you go how's that from memory ladies and gentlemen stuff it was stiff stiff something like that yeah um well, thanks, Kevin. This has been another good episode, and uh, we keep tuning in, and we will keep providing awesome content. Until next time. Stuff that's real.
Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str.